0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off
1: well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply.
0: Hey, everybody. Uh, we're back after a five-week break. Of course, uh, we had banked a number of terrific shows so we could air new ones each week. And And thanks for listening. Uh, these were uh, what we call evergreen shows. We had uh, Brian Fogel about uh, the brutal murder of Jamal Khashoggi, who's the producer of, of The Dissident. Uh, we had Adam Sewer of the Atlantic Monthly on his book, The Cruelty is the Point, which makes a very convincing case that Trump, Steve Miller, et al. were trying to tell certain people, uh, immigrants say, that uh, we're going to make your life so miserable we're going to separate immigrants from their children and do nothing to keep track of them so that we can traumatize families. And that will discourage these people. They, they didn't want from making the trip in the first place. And that was something the, the Trump people did, not in spite of the fact that it was cruel. Being cruel was the added benefit. And we had Norman Lear, who, who did the opposite, a lifetime of creating comedy, that gave us uh, over a half century of laughter, and whose point was to create joy and provoke understanding and feelings of commonality. And we had a, just a great string of shows, you know, for a change. Now, uh, Peter, uh, I don't, I don't think we'd ever put uh, more than two good shows back to back before this, uh, but uh, maybe. You should take a five-week break, you know, every year uh, with your boys. An unprecedented run of perfect shows. I can't believe it. Yeah. I mean, barely ever a good show, and this was five in a row. Truly amazing. And so, again, I think maybe you and your boys should uh, take a trip across the country uh, every year. Great. I'll see see you in another month and a half. (laughs) But you had a great time, huh? We did, man. We had the best time. This is an unbelievably beautiful country. Well, uh, I, I... I think that's a great thing for you and your boys to do and and uh, do it every year. Um, this week, a new show. And normally I'd say after run of great shows that we were due for one of our many turkeys. But uh, no, because uh, Lori Garrett and Andy Slavitt are with us uh, to tell us where we are at this point in this pandemic. Um, a perfectly timed show with two perfect guests. And this is their third time together on, on the podcast, and they always do an amazing job of not just explaining where we are, but Lori, a Pulitzer Prize winner in explanatory journalism, that's the thing. Uh, expl- <laughs> There's a Pulitzer Prize in explanatory journalism. She won a Pulitzer in the category of explaining stuff. So she will explain some stuff about the virus, about where we are in this pandemic, um, and she always takes us deeper into it in the clearest way of anyone I've ever heard. And joining Laurie is Andy Slavitt, one of, I guess, our most frequent guests, if not the most, who is head of Medicare and Medicaid under Obama and senior advisor to President Biden on COVID. I think he's tied for the most frequent guest on the Al Franken podcast and uh, who can tell us where we are as a country and... Uh, in the world uh, with this with this damn thing. It's a great show. Uh, You'll really enjoy it, you know, for a change. Uh, by the way, we recorded it earlier uh, in the week, just before the announcement that Americans will be able to get boosters eight months after they had their second Pfizer or Moderna shot, and, and I guess eight after their one Johnson & Johnson. Uh, but we did talk about boosters and they're remarkable. This is a remarkable podcast and that's why I'm remarking on it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go right to it. There's plenty of other stuff to talk about, voting rights, Afghanistan. Certainly we will get to that uh, inevitable tragedy in the very near uh, future. But for today, where we are on the COVID-19 crisis in August 21, it's a great one you know, for a change.
2: Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5,
0: thank you both thank you both first of all i love having you both on i just want to ask you where we are right now and i think everybody kind of wants to know that we aren't where we were you know a month ago or two months ago and so where are we where are we laurie first laurie where are we
3: the most striking things that i've noticed of late are first of all in a single week The first week of August, we saw a seven-fold increase in pediatric
2: Mm.
3: uh, cases of COVID with a a soaring rate of pediatric admissions. And in many parts of the South, particularly in Texas, pediatric ICUs are now full, full of COVID children. Um, And as we look across the country, we're seeing, I think, just about every single jurisdiction in the nation is seeing an increase now in COVID. It's just a question of how dramatic the increase may be. And that varies with eight states representing 51% of the nation's caseload right now.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm guessing that those eight states don't have 51% of the population.
3: Uh, far from it. And they, uh, no surprise, are... Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, Nevada, and Texas. But, you know, I also think we're kind of at a uh, danger point here with liberals, which is, you know, not a group you usually consider dangerous. Uh, But I am seeing a really radical increase in antipathy towards the unvaccinated uh, in a kind of judgmentalism that says, you know, fill-in-the-blank, you know, pastor so-and-so told his congregation not to get vaccinated, and he's now in an ICU. And this is greeted with kind of snarky, serves-him-right sort of self-righteous response, which is really terrible. And I think we're, you know, the degree to which we've been divided as a nation on everything else is resonating now on the whole question of masking our children for school next week or whenever your school's open. And uh vaccination or the lack thereof, or the re- right to refuse. And I'm not sure what possible tactic, short of mandates, remains in the White House uh, will at this point, because as far as I could tell, this administration has tried every single possible method of convincing people to get vaccinated. yet we we continue to have this very hardcore, roughly 20% of America that says, "Uh uh-uh, ain't going to do it. And I'm not sure what gets us past that. And the longer that is there, engendering uh, an ecology that is conducive to emergence of Delta Plus and whatever's going to come after Delta, on and on down the Greek alphabet of variant forms of virus, what worries me is that the antipathy and the rage from the other side is rising so that we really could be in uh, just a horribly difficult situation. I mean, I even just think about it right here in New York City. You look at our data and the difference between neighborhoods by zip code in terms of vaccination rate and COVID rate is very dramatic. With, In the case of New York City, where I live, Staten Island, which Mm -hmm. is traditionally the Republican voting part of the city, um, heavily populated by police officers and firefighters um, has the lowest vaccination rate in the city and the highest uh, covid rate in the city and a total refusal to abide by mask and uh, vaccination regulations and in contrast you can you can actually see more than a tenfold differential in both uh, covid rates and uh, concurrent uh, vaccination rates, or lack thereof, uh, across the zip code by zip code across the city. And I think that's a tale that's told nationwide. And I don't know where we go from here.
0: And Andy, uh, I assume you're still very much in touch with the White House. Lori uh, brought up the, uh, where where does, what does the White House, what can they do?
1: Let's just talk about where we came from. Go back to your original question, 2020 to 2021. So 2020, it started raining and we didn't have an umbrella. So if you, got, if you went outside, you got wet, you got infected. You know, the, the rain kind of was intermittent throughout the course of the year, but, you know, a lot of people got hurt. Two things changed in 2021 in this analogy. One is we invented the umbrella. That meant that a lot of people's lives were saved, 200,000 people's lives have been saved, according to a study by Yale, just because of the acceleration of the vaccine rollout. Millions of lives have been saved because of the vaccines, but 200,000 just because of the acceleration. The other thing that happened, though, and it started happening in the middle of the year, is the rain started getting harder. It started becoming a storm where you get that kind of slanty rain that the umbrella keeps most of it off of you, but not all of it. And I think just in terms of where we are, we should understand that when we ask people to wear masks, what we're saying is not that the umbrellas don't work. They work great. But you might want to also put on a rain jacket and some rain boots, because, which is a, would be a mask and some, some, some other precautions, because it's pretty aggressive out there. It's two, two to three times as aggressive with, with Delta. Uh, the other thing I want to just speak to where Lori, I'm pointing us, which is this, the state of the debate or the state of the conversation in this country because ultimately our ability to get out of this depends on our ability to solve our own problems and we're all interdependent here i mean this isn't something where a few brave men and women can save us all this is something where um you know we're going to we're going to uh, press our ability to talk to one another and deal with one, one another and so we're going to have to be capable of having this conversation in a more measured manner and we're all mad, angry, or tired or whatever, but that doesn't mean necessarily that everybody deserves the blame for this because, you know, much of much of who we want to blame is unblameable because, you know, it's a, it's a virus. But there is an understanding we're going to have to develop, which is that this virus is likely to continue to evolve in ways that mean it's going to be here a long time. How long? Well, we're still dealing with, as Laurie could point out to you, we're still dealing with mutations from the 1918 flu, and it's 103 years later. So we have to basically understand that we're going to have to make some adaptions, but between those adaptions and science and our ability to work together, um, we can come out on top.
0: Let me uh, ask you both about the vaccine and what it protects and what it doesn't uh andy you said that you were in a hospital yesterday and that the nurse told you that 100 percent of the people in the COVID ward uh, were not not vaccinated and we'll do the analogy of the umbrella um to what extent does the vaccine protect you from ending up uh in the hospital
3: my background is actually immunology And so you've kind of hit my sweet spot. And there's a lot of misinformation and confusion out there about these breakthrough infections and what they constitute, what they say about the vaccines. And, you know, I actually see it very differently from how most of the conversation has proceeded. And that is, I think it means the vaccines are working. Because here's the deal. If you're like me, you ran off to get vaccinated the minute it was legally allowed that you could personally receive. So I got my vaccinations in January, second dose, early February. And if you just do the math, we're now out enough months that... Uh, If everything worked properly, I went through a period where my body was full of neutralizing antibodies, just surging through my bloodstream, ready to pounce if they saw the SARS-CoV-2 virus in any form, any variant type, ready to jump on it. But of course, with time, what happens when it doesn't see viruses, it retreats into the B-cell memory compartment, which is where you want it to be, because that's where You know, your measles protection is from a shot you got decades ago, and if you get exposed to measles, it'll come out of that memory compartment and make those neutralizing antibodies and kill off the measles, hooray. But the problem that we're seeing with Delta, and the reason we have these so-called breakthrough cases, which are not, for the most part, overwhelmingly are not hospitalized, is that it takes time to generate a large concentration of neutralizing antibodies in your bloodstream when they're in the memory compartment, when it requires essentially turning the factory on and manufacturing the antibodies. And so the problem with the Delta variant is that its incubation time is very, very short, far shorter than routine forms of uh, SARS-CoV-2. And so you're looking at Incubation time of three to five days versus an incubation time of seven to 10 days. And that three to five day window is too short to pull a really profound response out of your B cell memory compartment. And so, what this means is that people that are fully vaccinated, like myself, uh, could be exposed to Delta variant forms of the virus and actually get a mild illness or an infection. But Once my memory compartment kicks in and starts cranking those viruses out, boom, I'm protected. I'm not ending up in a hospital and I'm surely not ending up in an ICU or a ventilator or a grave. And so I think it's really important to understand this whole issue of the B-cell memory component because, and unfortunately, the government folks haven't really talked about it this way. And so there's, people think it means the vaccine is failing. And that is, it, it couldn't be further from the truth. It's quite the opposite.
0: This begs the question of the booster or a booster. I know that there is a booster now for people who are immunocompromised. Is that a correct Yes. technical term? Now, I have hay fever. Does that count? I mean, can I get the no. booster? No. Oh,
3: because hay fever is the opposite. You have an overactive immune system. It's reacting against things that it ought to be just relaxed about what can I say I have to get
0: the booster? You
1: should you should never get a you should never get a shot because you have hay fever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I well let me ask you about the booster and and uh when will that be widely available to people who aren't immunocompromised and so that they're they're not back in the B-cell memory compound, the antibodies.
1: I'm guessing Lori's going to agree with me on this, but a mistake that I think we all made and we all own collectively, and Lori points it out, is the problems with us have been too imprecise in our, in our language. So we told people, you're 95% protected. But we didn't say you're 95% protected from what? Most people don't understand the difference between SARS-CoV-2, the virus, and COVID nineteen the illness, and when we tell people that they're not going to get sick, they think that means that they're not going to get the virus in their bodies. But the truth is, as Lori points out, the the fight doesn't exist outside our bodies. It's not like a shield or a sunscreen. It's it fights it exists in our cells where our immune system um, is programmed to have this fight. So li- likewise, boosters. Um, you know, it's another term that I think it's getting thrown around and, and, and imprecise. Is it a booster if you have an insufficient immune system and you need three doses instead of two? A lot of people are arguing that's not really a booster. Is it a booster if you need an annual shot? Um, well, it, you know, or is it a, or is a boost just taking your first shot and boosting it with a second shot? So, I, I mean, I'm, Now's a weird time to become start to become a stickler for words here, but I realize we're failing to educate the public in an intelligent way, and people are smart enough to understand it if we just talk using the right words. And I know that I haven't always done that. Now, to answer your question after being pedantic as hell for, for two minutes, mm-hmm. is I think we will see that people who are over 65, my, my prediction, will not go into – very likely not go into the late fall and winter without having received a third shot. And I think we'll start with people who work in healthcare settings and people in nursing homes, but I think we will, as they're doing in Israel, they started by making it available to people over 60. They've since moved to over 50. I don't know if we'll end up going that far, but we'll end up, and and this is where I'd love Laurie's opinion. You know, you've got Pfizer saying, um, yes, because Uh, the fact that Delta acts so quickly and your immune response has fallen off from your antibody titer levels, you do need a booster shot to protect you. And then you have others saying, no, hey, wait a minute. If you're really, all you care about is hospitalizations, um, you shouldn't care. And then there's people who say, but if you want to protect long COVID, you might need one. So I think this is a multi-sided debate. And I'm curious where, Lori, you come out on it.
3: Well, uh, you've, you've touched on a whole lot of things here and they're all really important. So let me just, let me, let me say this. Um, I think in a past uh, podcast with you, Al, we did talk about the famous Salk versus Sabin polio fight. And just in a brief recap, because it's so vital to what we're talking about right now, you know, Salk invented the first polio vaccine And his goal was to prevent children from being paralyzed and dying from that virus. And so he invented a form of the vaccine that you would inject. The problem was that the kids could could still harbor virus in their intestines and pass it via fecal transmission to the outside world. And so there continued to be the famous swimming pool polio, the, the cases that were in the environment. Sabin came along and said, well, the only solution is an oral vaccine that literally sterilizes the virus out of your intestines so that you're not only not going to get sick yourself, but you're not a transmitter. You're not spreading the disease anymore.
0: Well, that begs a question that I have, which is, okay, let's say it crosses over to you, or is that the term that, um, that you, you've been vaccinated? Mm-hmm. Now you're getting, inf- you get the virus, not the disease. Can you give it to your grandchildren?
3: So let me take you there because it's a really crucial question that we're all facing right now with, with COVID, which is, all right, so I'm fully vaccinated. Can I be a carrier? Is it possible for me to harbor virus that's harmless to me, but that I can pass to others? And is it possible that I can still get infected? It can still be in, say, my mouth or my nose, and I could then exhale it onto other people and never have any symptoms of any kind. And it turns out that that is possible. Not, we don't have any idea how common, but it is possible, and that some of the epidemiology of what we're seeing in the United States really can only be explained by understanding that there are asymptomatic vaccinated carriers, and really that's why we come back to the yet we still need the mask. So it's possible that this virus can be residing in your nose and in your mouth because the kind of specific antibodies, the class of antibodies that is most effective in killing the virus are not really in your nose. They're elsewhere in your body. Your nose has a different kind of immune response. And there are now studies that show And some of them have come, as Andy mentioned, out of Israel that show that vaccinated people can indeed have virus in their nose. So we all have a duty to wear a mask, including the vaccinated, because we don't want to run the risk that we pass it to our unvaccinated grandchildren or children. That's exactly what
0: I want to know, because my granddaughter is having her fifth birthday on September 7th out in Los Angeles. And Franny and I are wondering, should we go? And we've talked to our daughter and we're thinking maybe we should not.
3: Well, wear a mask. (laughs) I don't think people need to keep making these choices as binary, like I will see them or I won't see them. If you're vaccinated, you're safe. You just want to make sure you're not a carrier. So wear a mask. It's a simple, simple issue. Lori, I want to
1: say something, which I want you to to just correct me if I'm wrong, because you, you know more firsthand and mine's more secondhand. But some of the thinking from a lot of scientists, this doesn't change the advice, by the way, about the mask, but just just to make it clear that, you, you, A, you're, you're less likely to get it if you're vaccinated, so that auto- automatically obviously means you're less likely to spread it, uh, and B, because of the way Lori described the immune response, there is a short period of time when the virus is in your nose, uh, but it's not as long, and so... Um, when you're in a situation like Provincetown, where you've got a bunch of people in a club dancing indoors around one another, it spreads quite easily from one person to another. But I don't think that necessarily means it spreads anywhere close to as easily as with unvaccinated people. And Lori, check me if I got any of that wrong.
3: No, I, I think you're basically right. And then that takes us back to the question that Al asked us about. What about a third booster? And so the real dilemma here which I tried to address in my most recent uh, foreign policy piece, is that uh, how do we balance what's best for the average American against what's best for the rest of the world? There's only so much vaccine being manufactured. And it's not just even a question of the amount of vaccine, it's all the raw ingredients, everything that goes into making these vaccines, regardless of which type of vaccine we're talking about. There are shortages across the board, rate-limiting steps, uh, many of them, that are impeding our ability to make billions of doses. So if Americans go for a third dose, does that mean it's that much longer before Zambian's ties uh, folks in, uh, you know, Paraguay, get their full doses of vaccine. When you look at the African continent, I think it's still less than 2% of the population has seen a single dose. So there's a real justice issue here. There's a se- another aspect, though, to that justice equation, and that is if, if in the absence of a third booster, some segment of the population can serve as walking Petri dishes, being infected, perhaps asymptomatic to them, but harboring virus that can mutate in them, leading to yet the next, you know, Greek alphabet ascribed variant strain. What are we doing for the rest of the world? Maybe on the one hand, we're lowering the amount of supply of vaccine for the rest of the world. But on the other hand, Maybe by the time the vaccine is available, everything will have mutated thanks to our under-vaccination as Americans, and we will have supplied the world with a more heinous strain.
0: We'll be right back with Lori Garrett and Andy Slavitt after this word.
2: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite-clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret?
0: We're back with Andy Slavitt and Lori Garrett. The Delta variant—did that? Where did that come from? I mean, in other words, that danger isn't necessarily just us uh, developing a new variant. It's—it's it's, it, if the rest of the world isn't uh, vaccinated, then those variants have the opportunity to mutate uh, more and more overseas, right? And then that comes here.
1: The global conversation right now is the G7 is saying it's going to take us through the end of 2022 to vaccinate about 70% of the globe. And that's just too long because if you take, if you, if you, what the vex, what the virus does is it basically it's under attack by these vaccines. And it's, so it adapts. So if you attack it really slowly, all you're doing is giving it time to adapt. But if you attack it quickly, you're much better off. So something like having 70% of the globe vaccinated by March of 2022 is a lot better and feels like a lot better target, but that's gonna require us doing things across the globe that is operating differently. That means the G20 coming together and coming together with all the world bodies and acting in a highly coordinated fashion. It can be done, but it can't be done the way we're doing things today. Right.
0: What, what are we doing today that the G20 doesn't, what, what exactly are we not doing?
1: Well, well, for one, there's the difference between the G7 and the G20. Right. Um, we view this as a global competition with China and Russia. Uh, we'll never get it done. And if we view all of the world's vaccine supply is at play and concentrate on the places in the globe that need to get vaccinated and prioritize, we have myriad of Issues from regulatory export, import, um, competing over supply chain, which Laurie actually previously mentioned, regulations um, to to everything else. It's not about money. We, you know, the IMF is on board, others are on board, um, but we need everybody to come together and say, okay, we need effectively 11 billion doses to go out and into arms. And that is a massive effort. And it needs to be coordinated across the g twenty not just the g seven you know
0: in Ebola, we led a global effort, right, and instead, Trump gave it to the states i mean he and and in your book, you write that uh they deliberately did that so that when and if it fails they could he could blame the states
1: yeah, I mean, look, there's an analogy here exactly as you say, which is if you atomize it, A-T-O-M, not A-D-A-M, um, but if you atomize it um, so that, you know, you keep dividing the effort, you're going to suboptimize, and we just don't have the time for that. Seeing, seeing this setback in Afghanistan is actually highly, highly, highly related to what we're dealing with here because, um, you know, we have to be able to operate not as protectionists, um, not with our own interests, uh, but but globally with world leadership. And if you ask anybody around the world, where does that leadership have to come from? Everybody says the same thing. It has to come from the United States. Um, Merkel's leaving the stage. We've had Brexit. Um, Europe is weaker. The United States has to lead that. And the United States has to do that in a way with real diplomacy with China and Russia. Um, and that's just... That that that's where we are. You know, COVID, COVID nineteen, is now a geopolitical issue because I think those nine months make all the difference.
3: You know, what's really interesting, Andy, is that when this whole mess started back in January, February, twenty twenty, everybody noticed right away that when China went into lockdown, the CO two level dropped the air pollution levels dropped, and there suddenly was this sense of linkage that we were seeing a lesson somehow about climate change through our pandemic lens. Well, we fast forward now, we just had the IPCC report released, which is just devastating. Devastating. And and it has told us that the situation is far, far, far further along. And in fact, not in our lifetime, our children's lifetime, our great children, great, 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 great. Will CO2 be restored to pre-industrial levels, even if we stopped right now? And so uh, that's all rather sobering. But what really turns out to be the big lesson that everybody is learning, looking at the comparison of the climate situation and the uh, COVID situation, is that global governance matters and we don't have it. We lack a real capacity to have a shared sense of sacrifice, a shared sense of uh, legal obligation, and a shared sense of the goods, the good side, the upside. So, you know, on I guess the analogy would be here in, in the United States, we're talking about a third dose, possibly, of vaccine when so many in the world have never seen a first dose similarly here in the united states the hottest stock trades are all the electric vehicle related products and cars whether it's tesla or a ford battery or whatever it may be but do you think any of those electric vehicles are going to make their way into the streets of lusaka and uh, Vientiane anytime soon probably not and so we're we're i think very similar tracks of difficulty whether it's g20 g7 Uh, UN, whatever tier of global governance you want to look at, and we're in the same problem of nation first, global second.
1: Well, let me make a political point and and toss this to you, Al, because I think what Laurie's saying, first of all, completely, completely right and very profound if you think about the implications. It says a lot about the limitations of this strategy that some political parties have had here in the United States of liberty at all costs and putting down global institutions and putting um, our interests um, first and abandoning global leadership as not just sort of principles. And look, you could argue correctly that we've never been good at living up to the the principles uh, beyond that. But it's it's now more than that. It's now a necessity, and um, we may feel it last because you know we're, the, we're, we're wealthier, but we are feeling it. And I think the point that makes this sharper is we're no longer arguing about will climate change hurt us in the future? But this summer, everybody knows that climate change is hurting us now. And so, our inability to deal with things like COVID, which may have just be the warning sign for us for the for the for the planet, is just that's that's where that's where the game is going to have to be played.
3: And just to further bring them together, there's two new studies that show a link between COVID and climate change directly, in the sense that wherever people are breathing the fumes from burning wildfires. Their lungs are less capable of withstanding COVID infection, and the mortality rates are higher.
0: You know, when uh, when you brought that up about certain political parties, and um, the, the, the thing I just flashed back to is there was a resolution that we needed two-thirds for, I believe, to adopt some U.N., uh, some regulation, a worldwide regulation about creating curbs for handicapped people, right? For people who needed, so that if you traveled around the world, they had the same standards that basically we did. And Bob Dole came to the floor in a wheelchair, it didn't pass. Because the Republicans didn't want to give the U.N. that power. And it was, I was appalled and shocked. And so much of this is this political ideology and the, the uh, you know, getting reelected and, and not losing the primary in Oklahoma not losing the primary in Texas, not losing the primary in Louisiana and Arkansas. And it's really ugly, you know, and we have real isolationists like Rand Paul. It, it, it drives me nuts.
1: You know, it, it, there's, there's an ideology here, which is, you know, it's, it, you know, human nature to some extent is the me before the we. So you need leaders who can sell the we and define the we broadly and appropriately. Um, and if you are at a time of fear, at a time when you fear for yours and your family not getting yours, the politics of fear um, and resentment work really, really, really well. It's really, really easy. It's harder for you to do what you did, Al, which is go out and appeal to people's decency um, than the people you you tended to run against who were out there appealing to people's kind of carnal interests.
0: Yeah, I mean, you were talking about getting this 70% of the world inoculated. We don't have 70% of this country, do we?
3: No. And and what we're seeing is that general inoculations are going down for kids as well, partly because people were less likely to pay doctor visits during the COVID lockdowns, and partly because the anti-vaccine sentiments are resonating larger than just talking about COVID. And we're seeing a kind of bizarre alliance forming between the likes of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and his sort of organic foods-inspired opposition to vaccines, sort of, you know, what is the healthiest kind of Marin County hello kind of approach and the proud boys and the evangelical right wing uh, forming this bizarre alliance that now fight, you know, today there is a Cardinal in Wisconsin who's fighting for his life on a ventilator. That Cardinal had specifically named the COVID vaccine as a source of evil and told his Catholic followers that they should never agree to be vaccinated. He had opposed um, most aspects of the Biden administration's fight to tackle COVID. But of course, he acquired the disease himself and is now in critical condition. And You know, back to what I said earlier, I I tweeted about this and some liberals responded snidely, you know, serves him right, and and this and that about the Catholic Church. And that's not the correct response. The correct response is how can we overcome these uh, seemingly intransigent misunderstandings, misbeliefs, dogmatically driven, you know, opposition to essential public health. You know, the other thing to talk about is that across the nation, people who are practitioners of public health are quitting the profession because they've been attacked so viciously. They've been uh, threatened, their lives threatened. They've seen their pay cut by governments that don't like to restrict people's uh, ability to walk around without a mask and so on. And uh, we're seeing them attacked. It's the messenger being attacked. For trying to get you to save your life,
1: Lori, I just got to push back on one thing you said. Mm -hmm. Do you know the percentage of Marin County residents that are vaccinated?
3: I don't know the latest. I just know historically they were ninety-four
1: percent. Ninety-four percent.
3: I was kind
0: of going to say that because Marin County is a very affluent.
1: (laughs) It's tempting to create this false equivalence, and I totally agree with you about the snarkiness and that people get what they deserve, but it is not. It is, by and large, not the case that, except for some um, really gross examples, that people on the left are not getting vaccinated.
3: Oh, but but I was referring to Marin because historically, yeah, for I know. vaccination, no, but I think that's a bit of all a, of that. They were among the worst, as like Vashon Island off of right. Seattle.
1: Yeah, they're but it's a bit, it's a bit of a meme. It's a bit of a meme. And I just want to. I don't live in Marin County, so I'm not defending anybody. That I know, but I'm <laughs> you, it's it's one of the highest vaccinated counties in the country when it comes to COVID.
3: That's great. I'm really happy to hear that.
0: But yeah, how do we approach this? How do what is the what is the information approach? What is the propag? You know, wh- how do we get people who will not get vaccinated? How do we get them to accept?
1: Lori okay. said it earlier. Let's go back to it. Let's talk about it, and let and it's vaccine requirements. Very simply speaking. There's people who are vaccinated, there's people who are unvaccinated, and there's people who can't get protection because they're either immunocompromised or because they're under 12. And all you're saying when you're saying you're going to require people to be vaccinated, to go to work, go to college, um, enter a sports arena or enter a bar, is that the third group matters too. And if people who say, I don't want to get vaccinated or I don't want to get regular testing to show that I'm negative, fine, you don't have to go to the bar. You don't have to go to this particular office space. You don't have to go to this particular place. But for employers and schools and venues and localities to say, hey, demonstrate you're vaccinated or show us a negative test or don't come in is a very reasonable thing to do. And I think it's going to be commonplace. There's 25 million Americans who say that if they needed to get vaccinated in order to to go to work or to go to hang out in crowds they would get vaccinated without objection. That would take us from 72% to about 80%, I won't say overnight, but relatively speaking in one fell swoop. So that's where I've been spending my energy and attention is on getting employers and others to take collective action like Walmart has, like Google has, like Tyson's Foods has, uh, to essentially say, sorry, if you wanna be here, you need to, you need to keep this place safe
3: amen
0: amen okay we solved that or at least <laughs> <laughs> uh, we phew uh yeah i'm i'm going on tour which i'm a little nervous about uh but we're requiring people be vaccinated you know to enter the theater
1: that is great yeah that's great
0: well uh or if you're not vaccinated we will vaccinate you and put you in a plexiglass booth in the back row of the balcony also good i mean we'll look en- they'll enjoy it, the show it's the, it is <laughs>
1: there are loud voices yes this has to be done respectfully respectfully yes we have to respect people's individual rights of course but it is not controversial i mean it is controversial in some parts but but it, there is a consensus a broad consensus that there is a role for vaccine requirements and there is a limitation, as we're learning, to individual liberties. Or, you know, or, or, or left to our own devices, we'll all just basically sit home, emit carbons, and spread COVID. It, it
0: is, it is true that that obviously, if you're not vaccinated, and the more people, the more people that aren't vaccinated, the more people that will get infected, and the more chance the virus has to mutate, and that is really dangerous for everybody. Uh, everybody here and everybody on the planet, so there
3: you know what all this is reminding me of is you have you guys ever heard of a early twentieth century writer American named Paul de No he was a staff writer for The New Yorker back in the nineteen twenties and he wrote a book that became a huge seller called Microbes and Man. And it was you well, know, no wonder you
0: of, know this book,
3: yes, it was early days of understanding germ theory, but he was basically saying, you know we can it's now within our power to not have children die of preventable diseases we have we understand what they are now, we can conquer them, and he you know made a hero out of uh the folks the leadership of the Rockefeller University back in the day. So he really, he he totally believed all of this was possible. And then as we went into the Great Depression, he saw that even when vaccines were invented, even when there was a diphtheria um, antitoxin that could save children's lives before there was a vaccine, um, that things, things weren't implemented except for the wealthier kids And that for poor children, particularly those that were immigrants living in the tenements um, across the northeastern cities, the solutions were not available. And he became deeply cynical and wrote a book that was sarcastically titled, Why Keep Them Alive? But we are constantly fighting those two sides of the exact same problem over and over and over again. We have a technology, we have the capacity to control disease, and yet, it's not equitably distributed or it's actively resisted by, you know, a subset of the population. And we end up with the why keep them alive question.
0: Well, I mean, the, the populations that aren't getting vaccinated. Let me ask you about this. You know, we've had historically the Tuskegee uh, experiment keeps getting referred to. Uh What are the percentages in Black communities?
3: Well, the numbers are are terrible. I don't know what today's latest figures are, but African-Americans are the least likely to be fully vaccinated and the most likely, as a percentage of their population on a per 100,000 population basis, the most likely to be hospitalized and to die of COVID. It's a terrible equation. And I know... I mean, Andy should talk about this, but there have been a lot of really uh, innovative efforts in this administration to try and reach key leaders within the African-American community, whether they're religious or pop stars or whatever role they play, sports stars, to try and get change in the perspective. But boy, you know, we're, we're confronting decades and, you know, 200 plus years of reason for distrust of government and distrust of the healthcare system in that community.
1: COVID is kind of an occupational disease. Um, Less Mm -hmm. so as it gets more contagious. But for people who work hourly jobs or salary jobs are much more exposed. The principal reason why we think people of color um, have been dying in greater numbers, we've just, they've not been able to isolate quite as easily um, as a group and as a whole, as opposed to something about people's you know, genetic makeup or anything like that, and then you know you add to that that people of color have, have not just from Tuskegee, but day in and day out have a much a broader set of reasons to distrust the medical system, and have been abused by the medical system and don't have access to the medical system. And then there's a couple phenomena that uh, other people who either study it more closely or live in the African American community could describe better than I could, which is that there are some cultural things that are causing young males uh to push back against getting vaccinated that is a real problem and a real challenge um that it's not macho to get vaccinated and and things things of that nature that are developing and then of course everybody you know every community is subject to misinformation black communities no exception you know the, the white house has an office of health equity it's the first office of health equity ever out of come out of a white house it's led by Um, Some remarkable people. It's got a remarkable group of participants. They are daily in contact on the ground with people in in, in the communities, trying to listen and understand how to solve these problems. Um, You can't solve them if you don't understand them, and they have to all be solved locally with people that are trusted in the local community. It's it's more ground game than it is um, anything else, but it's it's really hard because, like everything else with COVID, that's not working. We're trying to undo decades, if not generations, of challenges in one fell swoop
0: you know i saw an ad um uh, and i don't know if this was in minnesota or it was nationwide but it was an ad where it was a young girl maybe 16 17 and she was black and talking to a doctor who was black and she says i heard that this could make you infertile and he Answered your question saying, no, no, but he did it. It was done in such a way that is exactly what Laurie was talking about, which is not judgmental at in the slightest, just giving her information and really respecting her. And respecting the fact that people are getting misinformation and that you can respect people who've gotten misinformation and draw wrong conclusions and just inform them without... You know, th- this showed tremendous respect for people who are just getting bad information. I think that's really important.
3: I don't think we get out of this catastrophe, either as a nation or as a world population, if we can't figure out how to um, actually care about the survival of another human being and to concretely understand that our actions affect the livelihood of another individual, whether that's you know switching from a fossil fuel burning vehicle to an EV to reduce our CO2 footprint, or it's wearing a mask, such a tremendous inconvenience putting a mask on in order to enter a supermarket, or showing respect for the waiter who comes to your table and has to wear a mask is required in his job to do so, uh, but may not be really adequately protected if you're not vaccinated. So I, I, we have to figure out a way, you know, I keep feeling like whatever happened to the days when people believed in things like uh, the United way, the community chess, the boy Scouts, the girl Scouts, all the things that were about, uh, community uh, contribution, community action, and recognizing that your actions affected dozens or hundreds of other people and you had a responsibility. It's really striking to me that the social responsibility aspect of both mask wearing and willingness to take a vaccine often takes a back seat to a very personal argument. Do you wear a mask to protect yourself? Do you get a vaccine to protect yourself? But the real issue for me is, am I wearing a mask to protect others in case maybe despite my vaccine, I'm harboring virus unknowingly in my nose? And do I get vaccinated so that I'm protecting everybody around me, not just myself?
0: You know, when you say what happened, what happened was Rush Limbaugh. What happened was Fox News. What happened is uh, social media. Um, what happened are people who are exploiting those things, and uh, that's why it's hard not to be mad <laughs> at some people.
3: I hear the Beatles singing in my head: "All you need is love." Wah wah wah, wah, wah. I, and, I know the I think,
0: song, Lori. <laughs> it, so,
3: it was so. It was so sweet. Yeah, and you look back, and it seems so. Gosh, isn't that just so hokey? Well, whatever happened to that, it's gone.
1: Can you do that again, Lori? <laughs> <laughs> um, you, look, if 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 the world you know like you know how the the all of the sci-fi movies show the world ending with some major catastrophe, and then there's a small team of brilliant people that are there to save the world. If the world if, if if the chips were down and we had to spend our way out of the problem with a small group of talented people, I'd have a lot of confidence in our ability to do it. But if you said to us, instead of having a hard problem that a small number of people have to solve, we had an easy problem <laughs> that we had to unify on. I'd say I don't like I'd say, I'd rather no. take the first bet than the second bet. I don't like our odds. That's well just
0: look at look at how profound. we became
3: so enamored with the idea of the of the benevolent billionaire, you know, the Bill Gates or the whatever. Or no, the Donald the Trumps.
0: I mean, he's, yeah,
3: Who's going to come in and drop, you know, $100 million on this problem and $100 million on that problem. And isn't that just going to take care of everything? No. We should have had them taxed like crazy. It should have gone through a democratic process. There should be buy-in that we all believe in and where we all share in the problem solving. And that shouldn't it shouldn't be like uh, it is now where there are health departments all over America and schools of public health all over America that are on tender hooks wondering what the divorce between Bill and Melinda Gates will mean for their survival. That's ridiculous. And the whole idea that we're waiting for the billionaire Superman, forget about it.
0: Let me get a little political here, and I'm just going to bring up Trump. Okay, Trump got vaccinated. He could have gotten vaccinated on television. He could have gotten vaccinated on television and said, everybody get vaccinated. He could have done that. He could still do that. He can do that any day. He can do that tomorrow. He can do that the day after tomorrow. He can do that. Donald Trump, wants Joe Biden to fail. And I think, in Donald Trump's mind, the more people who die under Joe Biden, the better it is for him. Now, that's a hard thing to say about someone, but this guy is the biggest lowlife.
1: Maybe it's true, but I don't think it's the central point any longer.
0: Well, it is. I'll tell you why I think it is. Because my former colleagues who... Know who Trump is, are afraid of him, and they're afraid to abandon him. And so they don't publicly say the election wasn't stolen. So they don't they they add to this division. They allow it to happen.
1: Yeah, but look, he's a spokesperson for twenty five percent of this country that wants to go back to a day when, if you're black or you're female. Uh, you could be seen, but not heard. And that group's always existed. He he was better than anybody else at taking advantage of it. But if he dropped off the edge of the planet tomorrow, that wouldn't change enough. Um, because that group is still out there, not just in the US, but there's some of that group in other parts of the world. And, you know, that attitude of, Get your hands off of my wealth. Get your hands off of my this. Get your hands off of my liberty. Get your hands off my gun. Get your hands off my all that's all that is going to have a a very a very obvious conclusion to it. Um, he he was no genius. He just played he just played the circus. And my point is just we can I, I mean you know we can we all probably agree on that on about Trump. But this issue is out there, and we're going to have to deal with it long after um, he's gone.
0: I know but he was a president of the United States and he did everything he could to divide people everything he could and continues to do and continues to be supported by 75 80 85% of the Republican party and that's why every republican politician i mean look at look at the house look at the senate i mean <laughs> they're they're afraid to say anything counter to the stuff he's claiming. And that is just damaging to no end. And I think that's part of this well, if you I ran really if
1: you ran for office in 2024, I mean if or if the race were right now, could any of us say with confidence that he wouldn't win? There is there enough political support in this country that he could that you we could be worried that he could win if he ran against Joe Biden again today. And if the answer is yes, then I think the problem is both Trump and much deeper than Trump.
0: You know, when he said, I like people who weren't captured, I said, okay, that's the end of his campaign. He just said the POW, you know, he didn't like John McCain because he was captured. <laughs> and I went, okay, that's the end of him. I just, there's no counting this guy out, I guess. But um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that.
1: I think our country, I think there's a large part of our country that feels pretty strongly and without much, you know, that much objection to all the things he says. So my point is not that Trump's not a problem, but my point is that he captures the problem. He puts a name to a problem that we have in this country.
0: Okay, but what are the numbers on vaccination by party? I mean, just, uh, Lori, do you know that?
3: Oh well, it is a striking difference. Overwhelmingly, Democrats are vaccinated, favor vaccination, um, and they're more, much more likely to support the idea that there should be some uh, mandates associated with vaccination, especially for employment and for schools. And in contrast, Republicans are far less likely to be vaccinated, to support masks, and so on. So everything has indeed divided. Um, you know, red and blue. But I don't, I, I don't think we gain a lot by finding ourselves just endlessly mired in that repeating cycle of debate. It's, it's almost like ceding the ground to them and saying, okay, that's legitimate debate. Let's, let's talk about our party platform and our position. I will say this though, I, if, of all the things I underestimated and got wrong, And I've certainly made my share of mistakes in interpreting what was going on with this epidemic over the last uh, year and a half. But of all the things I got wrong, the one I really didn't see coming was that it would become a matter of party platform for one party to oppose universal masking, to oppose vaccination mandates, to oppose most of the standard armamentarium of public health. And that I really didn't see coming. That shocked me, and I don't think uh, that you can blame it all on Trump because, frankly, the worst of it's happening now in his absence, when he's no longer in power, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the Earth and the Rand Pauls of the Earth, uh, but also their grassroots. You know, it's it's shocking to me when I see parents out at PTA meetings saying. I want my child to breathe. Don't put a mask on them. And, you know, I, all the all the school board's trying to do is save your child's life. It's an amazing situation we've ended up in. But I don't really think you can put it all at the feet of Trump. Trump was enabled. And there's a lot that's gone on post-Trump um, that's not his doing.
0: Someone on his staff should have gone right at the beginning going like, Mr. President, we've made you the finest mask. It's made of silk, the finest silk ever made. And we've look at the embroidery here, the uh, the uh, seal of the United States. Look at the talons of the eagle. Holding the arrows are made of twenty-four carat gold. No one has a mask like this. this. Is the most this mask surgery is the most powerful man in the world, and and. Uh, The scent, Ivanka's hair.
3: (laughs) Oh, man.
0: (laughs) That would have saved some lives. (laughs) I mean, it's on, there's a lot on him.
1: These guys are populists. They play to the crowd. He takes the temperature of how people are feeling. And if people are feeling racist or isolationist, or if they're feeling anti-science, that's why he adopts those positions, not because he believes those things. So th- that's that that sentiment. Is oh, I think out. he's we racist. Claims, but that that sentiment is sadly very resonant in a large part of the population. I know. I mean, but...
3: those people that rode their motorcycles to Sturgis and are there now in this massive what is what are the numbers two hundred thousand people? Yeah. Um, not wearing masks many of them proudly not vaccinated gathered in this motorcycle rally well i don't think that they are necessarily inspired by anything any particular politician said totally Rather, agree. totally they've agree they've absorbed an entire gestalt here they've they've become part of a universe that sees the world in a very specific way and part of that world is opposition to anything that Smacks of government telling you you have to do something, unless it's government telling those other people that they have to do something. But just don't try to tell me, don't tell white folks what to do, don't tell the folks that uh, you know came out of the era of privilege that they have to follow any orders. And I don't really think that that's specific to Trump. I think he capitalized on it, but it wasn't his idea. It existed long before he was on the political scene, and it'll exist long after he's off the political scene.
0: No, but I mean, it's he could have he could have done he could have easily just said get the vaccine, and we wouldn't wouldn't exactly be here right now.
1: It, it's actually at these tough moments that that you really need. Um, to reflect on the optimism, the optimism, the things that we have, we have all the tools. You know, this this mRNA platform is dynamite. The vi- even if the virus mutates, mm-hmm. um, the 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 platform can continue to keep up with to it counter, and stay ahead yeah. of it. So much of what we have in our lives um, will not be uprooted by this. This will become a manageable challenge for most of us. Uh, we we have to be good people. We have to recognize that there are people who are not um, so easily protected, and we have to look out for them. And though some of those people exist in this country, and some are people around the globe. But we have the capabilities now. I mean, we have the umbrella, we have the rain jacket, we have it all. Uh, and um, we all can protect ourselves. The question we need to ask ourselves is, are we willing to protect one another? And if we are, uh, I, like our, I like where we'll end up.
0: When, when, are, when are kids going to be able to get the shot?
1: Well, kids under 12, five to twelve, it's going to be a couple. It's going to be it's going to be some months yet.
3: The FDA is saying pro- probably early 2022. Uh, we'll see if they can push that up. Obviously, the concerns, the safety concerns with children, uh, run run a long, long list that are different from the concerns for adults. So. There are different things you need to look for. You know, you have to remember there are a lot of drugs that act quite differently in the body of a child versus the body of an adult. And, of course, Ritalin is the classic one where it's exactly opposite effect, a child versus an adult. So we need to be very careful and be sure that we're looking at the right parameters to determine the health of a child. And I just remind everybody You know, Andy just said how great the mRNA platforms have turned out to be, which is true. I mean, really exciting. And soon coming our way will be mRNA platform vaccines relevant to a whole host of other diseases, including various types of cancer. And so, you know, we are on this amazing trajectory with the mRNA platform. Uh, But we also need to, you know, recall that. Uh, we didn't really know when all of this started, what to test for. And we just still don't really have a, an agreement on what are the so-called correlates of immunity. What specifically do we measure to say you are immune to this disease or you are capable of fighting off this disease? What what proves that in the individual we approved based on lowered hospitalization rates? And lower death rates, which was that 95% figure, 98%, depending on which vaccine you're talking about. Now, we're going to want to f- come up with something that proves that it stops infection in children. I think that's going to be a very high bar. It's a different bar.
0: Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you both. We're good
1: to do this again.
0: We should do it periodically i mean uh i know until it goes away
3: which it's not gonna do
0: that's what i meant so there's
1: there's very few people who know more than Lori. um so it's awesome to be just listening to you
3: oh god you're the one that was in the government (laughs) and everyone
0: knows that anyone in the government really knows an incredible amount
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah uh thank you guys just really uh i uh, can't tell you how much i value these so um uh, stay safe thanks al thank you Lori. uh thanks andy
1: thanks guys
0: well i i hope you enjoyed uh listening that beautiful music is by leo kotke the great leo kotke i want to thank peter ogburn for producing this podcast We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today
4: where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.
2: The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV.